Well, Happy New Year, everybody. I hope you guys are looking forward to the new year. And if you're not, I hope to give you a challenge today that will give you purpose. I think will give you a, a, an aim for the new year. And what I have found in my life is that as long as I have a purpose, I remain happy. If I don't have a purpose, I get way too melancholy. It's not a good thing, right? So today, uh, we're going to be we're going to be launching into a new series next week. Uh, I keep saying tomorrow for some reason. I said that to Dylan. Uh, you're not coming to church tomorrow because I won't be here anyway. So, um, in some fashion, but not in this fashion. Anyway, so so what I'm getting at is that next week we will begin a new series in the Book of Ephesians. And we'll begin a brand new devotional series at 9.30 in the morning where we're walking through what we believe, okay? So the devotion series is what we believe, and the Ephesian series is really painting a picture or casting a vision for what God has created his church for, uh, who we are inside of that church, some of the promises and the hopes associated with being a part of that church, and then much more with that. And it's going to be a pretty amazing series. And we have five different people um, over 10 weeks communicating that, um, that series. So that'll be a really fun time. So it left me thinking what I wanted to do this week and, and in preparation for that. And that is to uh, give you guys a concept. And I am, I'm, I'm asking you, to really bear with me this morning, because some of the things that I'm going to share might be like, what are you talking about, you goofy guy, right? But I promise you, there is, there is profound importance in what I'm sharing, and I want you to see the challenge that the church faces in the 21st century, the challenge that we face as Christians, and then maybe uh, throw this in your lap in some, some capacity to say, how would you uh, how would you fix the crisis that we're actually dealing with? So in today's world, what we're facing is an overarching challenge, and it's what we're going to get used to calling uh, the meaning crisis or a crisis of meaning, but we're going we're to stick with the meaning crisis. Uh, this crisis reflects a widespread disorientation. I hate when I feel disoriented. I hate when I feel like I have no direction, right? But it's a widespread disorientation with traditional centers of meaning. I don't know if you know this, but the church actually is intended to be a center of meaning. It was a, it was a place from which the purpose of the kingdom and the, and the life of the kingdom was supposed to go forth, okay? In Ephesians chapter 4, we see, uh, we see this beautiful statement about what God is setting up and how he's setting it up and who he gifts to do certain things. He says, so Christ himself gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And a lot of what we mean, uh, what, we, what I intend to mean by meaning, is this growing into maturity with a, with a balance of knowledge and information and wisdom. And so God actually wants the church to be this, and he's created the, the pieces to get it there. And it's all in place. Did you guys know that the church is not lacking anything today? Did you know that? Contrary to popular belief, contrary to people's opinions on what other people's doctrine are or what other people's doctrine is not, uh, the church is not lacking anything. We just need to walk in what we have, okay? And so this is a really important idea. And so the crisis, again, reflects this widespread disorientation where these traditional centers of meaning, churches, temples, honestly, um, in the broader world, all temple structures were intended for this. So synagogues, mosques, everything. There is something that we hold to, something special, and we'll get to that. But these institutions no longer hold any influence or the influence they once had. Um, even when you look at churches and say, yes, but the church down the street that's got all the bells and whistles and the really cool performance, it's growing. I can make the case for you so many ways that they are growing by transference and not by evangelization. Large churches are growing because little churches are shutting down. Period. End of the sentence. And you know why I know that? Because the faith rate in America is shrinking. So how are they growing? 
That's the only way they're growing. We're not evangelizing the world. We're not changing the world. We're actually just huddling up into our tighter circles of, of likes and sames, okay? And so today, I want to talk about this meaning crisis and explore its implications. I want us to embrace what I will call the trinity of meaning, and so you'll understand that here in a little bit. Looking at the decline, we're also going to look at the decline of the traditional institutions and a proposition for you, a proposal rather, uh, for a revitalization of this instead of an abandoning of it. That has been the normal MO of people. When something doesn't work anymore, what do we do? We toss it. We, we trash it, right? So let's deal with the meaning crisis and unravel, unraveling this kind of disorientation. This, it, and it's quite existential if you understand that. So the meaning crisis emerges as a profound challenge that transcends the boundaries of individual belief systems and societal structures. In other words, this is true across the board. It's not just the Baptist struggling or the Pentecostal struggling or the Charismatics or whatever you want to say. It's across the board. At its core, this meaning crisis denotes a collective confusion, disorientation. And this, it's like, it's a very big shift uh, in the foundation of how we derive purpose and significance. So it leaves a lot of people going, what am I made for? Who am I? Why am I here? And guess who's answering the question? Largely nobody. Largely the individual making up their answers on their own without any uh, good, sound wisdom or maturity uh, attached to it. And so this seismic shift changes the foundation of deriving purpose and significance. And the traditional center of meaning, the church, they're waning uh, across the board, right? So it propels us to urgently explore the fix for this in order to discover life's purpose. Why is this pressing for me? It's pressing for me because I... I care about these things probably more than I care about anything else. And I care about these things in light of their effects on future generations, and in particular, my children. My children are, my children will never grow up in, I, I'm not a nostalgic person, I'm not a sentimental person, it doesn't really matter that much to me, uh, until it's actually of value. And then I'll fight with you over it, right? You know, that's the important thing. But my children will never grow up in the church that I grew up in, not in the atmosphere I grew up in. If I sent my kids to public school, they wouldn't grow up in the atmosphere I grew up in. And we already thought the atmosphere I grew up in was weird. And it's just like straight out crazy now, okay? So, so we need to, to understand how to fix this, right? And so uh, the, the traditional system is broken. How do we get there, right? Uh, we are not merely here to provide religious doctrines, but actually, we're, according to the Bible, we're supposed to be beacons illuminating a path through this mystery that is called life. How many of you know that the church is a city on a hill? How many of you know that the word of God is a lamp unto your feet? All of this is what we're supposed to have and be and do in the world, and yet we're not lighting any paths anymore. We're just kind of sitting here with the bushel over our lantern, right? The contemporary reality paints a narrative of decline, prompting this profound exploration into reasons behind this shift. The decline of these institutions, of churches, of mosques, of temples, right, is not a simple matter of changing religious affiliation, but actually a complex interplay of factors such as, and this is where the church has to just suck it up and grow up, and that is factors such as scientific progress, cultural transformation, and a reevaluation of authority and authority structures. We have to think about these things. It's actually important for every generation that comes to rethink about these truths. Not so we can invent new things all the time, but so that we can know why we do what we do over over history. Amen? So I use this example a lot. It's such a silly example, but it, it illustrates the point perfectly. Uh, it was the holiday seasons, and uh, a grandmother and a mother and her daughter all came together uh, to, to pre prepare the, the Thanksgiving meal or the holiday meal. And the, the young daughter had made this year after year after year, and she took out this ham, and she put it into a pan, and before she put it into the pan, she cut these two ends of the ham off. And they're a very 
awesome pieces of meat still. And so she cut them off, and she never knew exactly why. And so she kind of put them to the side, and she put it in the oven and thought, I'm wasting a lot every year. I don't understand this. So she went to her mom, and her mom says, uh, she says, why do we do this? Her mom says, I don't know. I've done it all my life because that's the way my mother taught me. And so she says, well, Grandma's here. I'm going to go ahead and ask her the question. So she goes to Grandma, and she says, why is it that year after year, I and Mom cut the ends of this ham off to put it in the pan. And she goes, I have no idea why you do. My pan was just too small. <laughs> right? The, the, idea is that, the idea is that your tradition can actually be a tradition that is rooted in no truth whatsoever or just mere information, but not in wisdom, not in anything that provides profound meaning. And so we have to be careful with this, and especially when it comes to the church. So the significance of the meaning crisis can't be overstated. It represents more than a shift, again, in religious preferences. You're not going to find the fix down the road at another church. It's still there. It's a profound transformation in how societies construct their stories, their narratives, right? That's the stories we tell ourselves to help us derive any sense of purpose. Um, for Americans, it might be that we are, uh, we are endowed by our creator with certain rights, right? These are the stories we tell ourselves. Is there a book that all society goes by that proves that that is true? Well, we like to say it's the Bible, but there is no book that all society believes tells us that that is true. So it's a story we tell ourselves, and it may be based in truth, but it's a story we tell ourselves, and it gives us this purpose. The teachings and traditions that once anchored individuals and communities is now perceived as not being relevant, okay? So one of the reasons people are leaving the church is why? Well, you're not relevant anymore. You just talk nonsense. I don't care what you say. It doesn't apply to my life. And so it's not irrelevant to the complexities of their world or their life in some way, okay? That's, that is, in effect, the, the pan and the ham situation. The complexities of this life say, uh, I don't need to cut the ends off of that. I don't know if it's good or bad or indifferent, but I'm just going to go with it and not worry about the past. And so many people are doing this, and they're just, they're just figuring their way forward, okay? Uh, as expressed by an individual in Robert C. Fuller's uh, this work called The Spiritual But Not Religious, which is a really strange concept. Um, the traditional teachings seemed detached from daily life and the issues that were faced, causing people to search for a more applicable approach to spirituality. This crisis raises questions about our collective understanding, about communal identity, who are we as the church, and the timeless pursuit of purpose. What is our meaning? Why are we here? Uh, as these traditional centers falter, though, there's a risk uh, not only of losing the historical wisdom that are carried with these institutions, right, the church as a, as a whole, um, but also the communal bonds and shared narratives that are anchoring us and have anchored us for centuries. So where, where am I going with this? Well, so there's a meaning crisis, and the meaning crisis is what is our purpose? What is this understanding? There, was a, there, there are institutions, there are places from which that meaning was promoted. That would be the churches, the synagogues, the mosques. Those things are waning. Why are they waning? Because people believe their teachings are irrelevant. So we have to talk about this thing called relevance realization here in a second. But they think that we're irrelevant. How many of you have had somebody say, church, it's just irrelevant? How many of you, by practice, actually live as though the church is irrelevant? And let me hit you really hard for a second. How many of you actually don't really care when you attend and when you don't attend? It doesn't really matter because this doesn't do anything for you. You are the person who says this is irrelevant. You are, whether you like it or not. Because why? Because you have failed to realize why it's relevant, or we have failed to promote why it's relevant, or to punch myself in the nose, we haven't been relevant. That's also an option, right? And so this is a really staggering reality in our world. And so, so people have lost this idea. They, they basically think that there's nothing attaching to us as being relevant, right? In essence, the meaning crisis demands our attention 
and thoughtful consideration, urging us to navigate this tapestry of meaning, these stories, these narratives, drawing from both echoes of the past as well as any aspirations we have for the future, okay? Now, some of you might be like, this is already way too much for me, Nathan. I promise you, it will make sense over time. But let's boil it down to this simple nutshell. The world is leaving the church because it's irrelevant and we have to gain it back. We have to gain back our relevance. Why? Because in that relevance is the meaning of life. It is the very purpose for which we live. And if we don't get it, people are meandering about for why they're here. And man, the answers that people give for their purpose and for their meaning is really crazy. It's all over the map. If they have one purpose, that is, at all. Sometimes people are so nihilistic about the world that they live in, they basically say, it doesn't matter. It's all going to fade at some point. How do you live your life in that? How do you make a path forward in that? Should you make a path forward in that? So how meaning is creating, created, this trinity of meaning uh, that I mentioned before? Meaning is a multidimensional journey. This tapestry that I talked about before uh, is articulated very well by cognitive scientist John Verveke. And he says this, he says that there are three interconnected dimensions, what I'm referring to as the trinity of meaning. They are as follows, information, knowledge, and wisdom. Those are distinct entities and they need to be understood as such. Information, knowledge, and wisdom. And each tier contributes to the nuanced exploration of how we engage in the world. So at this foundational level, the bottom of the pyramid, we have information. There's a vast sea of data and facts that inundate our daily lives, right? In this digital age, platforms like Google serve as a modern oracle. How many of you have ever heard somebody say, why don't you ever ask me the question, why do you always go to the internet? Quite honestly, their information database is quicker than you are. <laughs> That's probably why. But we're actually revealing that we're conflating some things. If I go to Google for information, that's one thing. If I go to Google seeking wisdom, I'm not actually going to Google. I'm going to people behind web pages, people behind podcasts, people behind thought, because that's where wisdom comes from, right? It's, it's not something that you just go two plus two equals four. That's not wisdom, that's data. That's information, right? And so Google serves as this modern oracle and it provides access to an expansive repository of information. It's unbelievable. In Verveke's uh, writings, he emphasizes that meaning transcends mere information. And guess what? All of us know this. We already know that meaning transcends information. Uh, it, it calls for a discerning eye to navigate this kind of sea and extract relevant information Relevance realization, right? Relevant information from the abundance of facts. The world has weighed the church and it has found us wanting in what? Not information. Relevant information. Do you know that? That's what's happening. The church doesn't provide relevant information for me so I'll stay home. That's the way the world sees it, right? And so it calls for a discerning eye to navigate this see and extract relevant information from, from the abundance of facts. True meaning, therefore, involves not just accumulating data, but discerning its significance within the context of lived experience. I'm going to put all this together with an illustration here in a bit. Uh, imagine, well, I'll do this illustration first, and then I'll go further. Imagine you're a student, and you're using Google to study for an exam. How many of you have done that? How many of you use Google to study for anything? I do all the time, right? So anyway, this modern oracle, it provides this information and it provides it quick, right? So the challenge for a student is not just collecting facts, but discerning significance, right? So true meaning goes beyond memorization. How many of you have ever memorized a bunch of facts, got to the test, didn't know how they applied in the question and failed? Don't lie to me. Anyway, right? You're like, I failed miserably because you thought this was a memorization game. That's not what your teacher's doing right? Or at least not a good teacher, right? So they're pushing you towards something. True meaning goes beyond that memorization. It's about understanding the context and relevance of each piece of information. 
So for instance, it's not just about knowing dates, but understanding their historical context. Why does that date matter? Or practical applications of scientific principles. How many of you still use Pythagorean theorem? couple of you, you're a teacher, that's awesome, right? How many of you non-teachers still use it? Just a couple, right? Because what we have found, and this is not a problem because this is a very important theory, but what it is, is it's not relevant to us. What I find fascinating is that we often judge the efficacy of educational systems or the education that we received based on only the information that is relevant to us and not good sound information that might be relevant to more people than us, right? So everybody goes to math class and goes, I never use any of this crap anymore. Yeah, I never use any of it. Doesn't mean it's not relevant. It's just not relevant to you. So it doesn't mean the institution is horrible. It just means you didn't gain any value from that. Is this making sense? We've got, to, we've got to understand this. Otherwise, we're going to demonize all institutions as being irrelevant at some point. And then education will go the way of the church. So we extract relevant insights to contribute to a deeper understanding of the subject. So we research in, uh, in, in the church, we research biblical terms. How many of you know just because you looked a term up in the Bible dictionary doesn't mean you know how it's used in the context? Right, so you look up a word, you've got your lexicon, it's a beautiful thing, but then you need to actually think about how the author was using the term. That is where you move from information to knowledge, but you haven't even come close to entering into wisdom yet. And I'll show you the problem that comes later. But when researching biblical terms, we have to foreground and background certain information. That's relevance, realization. We've got to foreground things that matter and so we look at it and we go, oh, what was Paul meaning based on what he was saying? That's the true meaning of that word. I can move forward. Bibles that plug in five terms for every meaning in their little uh, concordance at the bottom, it's not always good. People are like, oh, this term can mean this, 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 or this. No, it means something to the person, right? And that's the art of, dis- uh, of, of uh, interpretation. You have to get there. So moving beyond the realm of raw information, we ascend now to the second tier of the pyramid, which is knowledge. And this step involves the organization and the interpretation of facts to construct some coherent structure of understanding, right? So what was Paul saying? What did he mean by this? Academic disciplines and scientific frameworks become a kind of scaffolding of knowledge. Same with biblical interpretation methods and, and, and the like, okay? So they become a scaffolding of knowledge. They offer a framework so that we can do what knowledge is supposed to do. Overcome ignorance. That's what knowledge is supposed to do, right? We're going to see the distinct difference between knowledge and wisdom here in a second. But if you want to gain knowledge, you need information to gain knowledge, and your knowledge is about overcoming ignorance. That's the important thing. And you do so through evidence-based comprehension, something that is true. Verveke cautions that knowledge, while crucial, is again not synonymous with wisdom or even meaning. It demands more than assembling facts. Uh, It requires relevance, uh, understanding things. How many of you have ever met somebody who knows a lot of stuff and they, and because they know a lot of facts, they think they know everything? You know that person, right? That's the person that's really good at trivial pursuit, possibly, right? So it's like, okay, no shot at an INTP over here. But anyway, so the idea is you, you know a bunch of facts, but what do you do with those facts later? Do they evolve into knowledge or do they, they come into knowledge? That's a really important question, right? So we're assembling facts and trying to understand things. The stereotypical smart guy who has no ability to connect knowledge to -to day-to-day activities or practices is what we're talking about here. They've got information, but they don't have knowledge. Now, at the pinnacle of this pyramid is wisdom. And this is the dimension uh, where meaning finds its most profound resonance. Okay. Wisdom involves, and this is where it's uncomfortable, this is one of the reasons why this generation doesn't want to wait for it, it requires an anxious silence. It requires contemplation, deep contemplation, that goes beyond information and the noise that that creates, or even the structure of knowledge. Here is the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Wisdom is about overcoming foolishness with relevance. 
okay? Wisdom is about overcoming foolishness with that which is relevant to the situation. Discerning not only what is true, but what is profoundly significant and applicable within our daily lives. Wisdom serves as a bridge between knowledge and the intricacies of the human experience. Have you ever found yourself fretting and worrying and in tears because you don't know, you know a lot of things, but you don't know what to do next in your life? You're like, I just don't know which step to take. Not that there aren't a million great steps before you, but you have no idea which one to pick. And then this, this causes us to go into this weird Christianity where we jump back and we say, God in his sovereignty is misunderstood as being meticulously, absurdly sovereign. And that is to say that everything in my life, God has already foreordained and planned and that I can't sidestep anyway. If God has meticulously determined everything you do, then stop praying and go with the flow because it doesn't matter. But that's not how it works. How it really works is that God is, is in community with us. Amen? He's talking to us. And so what he's doing is he's asking us, what are the desires of your heart? And hopefully those desires are informed by his word and by our relationship with Christians who've walked before us. Hopefully, hopefully we talk to grandma and why she cuts off the ends of the ham, right? And so, so we're, we're traveling this, this road and we're trying to figure this out and we are we are attempting with everything we have to please God. So we make a plan. And then God says, ah, man makes his plan. God does what? Ordains his steps. Do you know what the ordaining of steps is within a plan? It's the impartation of wisdom to make a relevant decision step by step by step by step. This is unbelievably important because what we keep thinking is God is just going to give us an, uh, an information download. Just tell us what the Google Maps directions are and we'll be fine. He's going, no. Life has just met with a detour and a billion orange barrels and God goes, there's three directions and there's one that's probably best. Listen to me. I'll give you the directions. This is where wisdom actually comes in. It's overcoming foolishness with something that is relevant. So book smart is a person that has the data. Street smart is the person who has the ability to apply that data. Wisdom is the person who understands the right time to apply it and whether it's necessary or even prudent. Do you know that there are good things in this life that you can choose to do and not do? But let's go with the choose to do. There are good things in this life that you could choose to do that you shouldn't choose to do because they're irrelevant to the situation. That's really weird. Because you're like, but it's a good thing. I should probably do some good things. And you go, it's, it's, not, it's not prudent here. It's not necessary now. Paul on the Areopagus could have taken the good step of uh, arguing with all of the people on the, uh, on the Areopagus and saying, you're, all your idols and all your stuff is a bunch of bunk, you're a bunch of fools, you don't know what you're talking about. That would have been maybe correct. It wouldn't have been wise, and Paul knew it. So Paul goes, let me tell you about this God, this statue you have over here, to the unknown God. He doesn't even get into the squabble of the rest of it. He just sits there and goes, hey, here you go. Let's talk about this. This is when wisdom enters into our life. This is what, it's, this is what meaning is about, church. And we're dealing with a meaning crisis because here's what we're lacking. We're lacking the definitions between information, knowledge, and wisdom. We're lacking the ability to discern between those. We're lacking proper application or proper... Um, proper influence of people who have walked those roads before us. This is why the church is said to be led by elders. This is why every group of people throughout all of human history was led by sages and elders and those above them with some sort of wisdom because they'd walked a path before. Were those always attached to age? No, they weren't, but they were attached to experience. They were attached to actually living life, and we need to understand that, and we need to find that in order to live appropriately. 
So you can be book smart and have the data. You can be street smart and know how to apply it. But wisdom is when you know when the right time to apply it is, when it's necessary, when it's prudent. And this church is where we get lost all the time. We are filled with data. And what do we do with our data? We argue and we fight and we throw shade at each other constantly because that's what we're all about. Your data's wrong. No, your data's wrong. No, your, that's all we're doing, okay? Missing the point. So we're, we're constantly filled or we're, we're plenty full with data and we're constantly fighting. We can tell how the Bible is applied even in a particular context. The challenge is not how to apply it in a particular context. The challenge that we're lost on is do we have to apply that? Is that for us today? Is that not for us today? Is it applicable to me? Is it to a bigger context? What is it? This is the question that people are asking, church, with respect to sexuality. This is the question that people are asking with respect to authority and leadership. This is the question that people are asking with respect to, uh, to generously giving to people or to being charitable and kind. They're asking the question, is this relevant for me? And what they have are blank answers. The blank answers are always or never, always or never, yes or no. But sometimes the answer is not right now. And we have to gain the wisdom to understand this. So this disconnect is why people are actually leaving the church. The church is void of sages to tell us why and how in this present day, what is applicable and what is not applicable. And this has been the aim of our church to change that, even in one small, tiny church in the middle of Ohio. The idea is let's look to find uh, suitable people that have gained experience in life, that have walked these roads, not all roads. I hope you understand that in order to be a leader of people, in order to be an elder or a sage in a community, does not ever mean you have to have walked every path possible. Do you know how much one-on-one -on -one real world experience the Apostle Paul had in raising children? Zero. And he tells us everything that the New Testament tells us about raising children. What's this idiot doing? He knows, though. Why? He was trained by those who knew. He wasn't, a, he wasn't uh, ignoring the wisdom of the past. He embraced it and understood it and passed it forward, right? So this is re really important. So we've tried to fix this, or we're trying to fix this. And so it takes time, and it takes serious, serious effort. And one of the biggest battles that we're actually facing is getting people to believe that the church is even relevant anymore. What good does it do to create an entire framework and then people go, but I don't like the framework. But I don't want anything to do with your framework. So there's a lot of battles being waged at the same time. This trinity of meaning, therefore, illustrates that meaning is not a monolithic concept, but a multifaceted journey. While information and knowledge provide a groundwork, wisdom invites us into the realm of something that is profound, an understanding, a relevant realization in life. It acknowledges that true meaning involves not just knowing, but discerning, not just accumulating facts, which is fun, but not of much value, until you find significance in the depth of existence. In exploring this kind of trinity of, of meaning, we're going to navigate through intricacies uh, of meaning making, recognizing that it is a journey, right? It's going to take us a long time. Um, and it's a contemplative engagement with what is, what is it to be a human, so this makes me happy because what I'm saying to you is that it requires being philosophers. It requires asking those deep, deep, deep questions. So that I can provide the answer, we can provide the answer to the not necessarily deep questions the world is asking. What do I do? People walk through those doors just wanting to know, what am I supposed to do in this life? The only people who can answer that are people who have thought about it and who have walked this life. That's why we need the elder, the sage. That's why we need this whole institution. So number three, and I will, I'll bring this to a close. I'm never going to be able to finish all this. If you'd like to have a conversation about this crazy idea that I'm sharing with you today, I will, 
I will make the time. We'll create another Q&A service or something and just talk about this because it's, it's important. It's important. So where meaning has traditionally been acquired, churches, synagogues, right, um, and the challenges that they face. So it's the unraveling of traditional centers. In this tapestry of human history, traditional centers of meaning are going by the wayside and they used to illuminate the world. They don't provide any light now, so people find them of no use. The decline of traditional centers stems from many factors uh, and are as diverse as the individuals who are actually live in those institutions or who have deserted those institutions. Scientific progress is one of the biggest ones. People go, the church doesn't align with science. If you think that your approach to evangelism and sharing your faith is going to be Bible school stories and it's going to get somewhere, you had better be banking on a miracle because the world today is going, you believe that nonsense? You believe those fairy tales? What about evolution? What about, what about uh, cosmology? What, what, about, uh, what about origins? What about all of this stuff? They're asking these questions. What about the clear indication that the world is older than you say it is, according to their view? What about that? What would you do if you found out that your view is wrong? How would you explain and maintain the faith? Why do I even propose that situation? Because that reality in scientific discovery has taken place thousands of times in the history of the church. The most notable one would be Galileo. When all of the church stood its little ground in its high and mighty way and said, everything revolves around the planet Earth, nothing is different, and that's what the Bible says until they realized they could read the Bible differently than their little pig-headedness could read. Yes, I don't mind insulting. That's a challenge, right? That's a challenge. We have to be okay, and we also can maintain God is still good, and he doesn't change. What are you going to do if that's the case? And, more important question, are you even willing to entertain the question? Because if you're not, guess what this generation deems you? irrelevant. Guess what they're going to ask you? Nothing. They don't care about your opinion. They don't care because you sound like a fuddy-duddy that doesn't understand truth that has come about through scientific discovery. Whether it's true or not, what the church has to start doing is taking a deep breath and realizing we got to have these hard conversations. Whether we like them or not, doesn't matter. The, the world is still needing Jesus. Amen? Is that true? I mean, the true church? Because if that's not true for you, if that's not the meaning, what is the point of all of this? What is the point of all of this? So we're aiming at something, we're, we're pursuing something, and what we're pursuing is meaning. And it's something deep, right? Cultural shifts affect people in this. The way the culture shifts Sexuality and marriage, is it not changing the landscape of our world? Can you have a conversation about it without mocking? Can you? Serious. Can you have a conversation without going, you are a complete and total tool? <laughs> Can you have a conversation? Because if you can't have the conversation, they don't want to have it with you. They're just done. You are irrelevant. To them. Some of us sit here and we think, Nathan, I've lived all my life. I've understood these things and now I've got to learn a whole new set of things. You want to know what the hard, simple answer is? Yes, you do. Yes, you do. You have to learn more. Why is this a problem? It will only be a problem to those who don't want to give the effort. You know what the you know what's required to get in shape? Hard work. You know why we don't always get in shape? Let's cut it, let's cut the crap because we don't want to do the work. That's it, right? I'm like, you know how hard it is to push up the barbell? This is just painful. I don't want to do this. I have myself in the mirror to blame for this. 
Why am I not making impact in the world? I can't have conversations with, with people without mocking them and without being upset with them because they believe something I don't believe. Well, then you're irrelevant, and if you don't want to put in the work, you won't have any fruit. It's just that simple. I know that's hard, but that's, it's that simple. Individual autonomy is another big piece. I want to do it my way. That's not been a new advent, right? Billy Joel was singing about that quite a few years ago. Exposure to diverse spiritual traditions in, in and through the internet is a massive and complex issue. Do you know how much false information is out there about what Christians believe? Just as much as there is true information about what Christians believe. Are you ready to take aim at that? Are you able to point people in the right direction? Are you able to talk about this and say, well, I'm not sure that I agree with that. Can we look at this together? Are you willing to take the journey with people? Because if you're not, you're irrelevant to them. And they'll go somewhere else where someone else will give them meaning. Uh, Diverse spiritual traditions really becomes complex because as you look at all of these vast things, people go, what makes you think that Christianity is the truth? I can make the jump from atheism to theism. I can get from no God to a God. But how in the world did you jump from no God to it's Jesus? How many of you have heard that question? Are you willing to answer it? Are you willing to fight to answer that question? Because the world wants a relevant church. And they can't find one right now. And that's what we've been trying to do. Always fighting to figure out how to explain and how to work and how to get better in order to explain to a lost and dying world a truth that is, in fact, the meaning of life. Department, uh, departure from rigid doctrines towards a quest for the more personalized uh, individual's spiritualization or spiritual walk. That's another thing that people say all the time. Are you able to actually talk to people and show them that just because they see something as old and antiquated, that it has wisdom value, it has truth value, and that you can show them how it applies in their context? Can you do that? Can you have that conversation? Are you willing to grow to have that conversation? Or will you remain irrelevant to this generation? That's what they're looking for, church. So that's what we deal with uh, in one set of the decline of traditional centers. The second reason for the decline of of religious centers, uh, uh, meaning centers, is the rise of the nuns. A bunch of women in these black garbs taking over the world. No, the N-O-N-E-S, the nuns, right? You didn't even know about that entourage of people coming. No. So the nuns, and what are nuns? Those who profess no religious affiliation. This is a demographic, um, and it's crafted by this distinct identity that distances itself from traditional religious affiliations. Uh, An anonymous responder to the Pew Research Center interview captured the sentiment well. He said, I felt constrained by the rigid dogmas and doctrines. I need a more open and exploratory approach to spirituality. Now, If the first response you had was, oh, he's one of those, then you've already become irrelevant. Because what is most likely being said here is a person that says, I don't just want to believe what I was told, I want to understand why. What you actually have is a person that says, I get the information and you've put it together to create knowledge for me, but I need wisdom I need meaning, I need purpose, and I need to know why this matters in all of my life. And if you can't guide them through that, or have a set of people that you can point to to guide them through, then you've become irrelevant to this culture. We're at a a disadvantage, church. We're already deemed as irrelevant to them. So we have a lot of, uh, of overcoming to do. Their departure from these homing environments reflects this nuanced response. It's a departure from organized doctrines towards the quest for something personal, something maybe even flexible, although I only see that on certain occasions in these polls. This rise of the nuns 
challenges the conventional role of these traditional centers and reflects this broader societal move towards seeking meaning. They're looking for meaning. They haven't said, screw it all. They've said, I don't get it. But you're not providing me with answers. So how do we solve this issue? In the face of this, this, this decline, uh, proposals for revitalization emerge on all fronts. Churches have every plan in the world. Do you know that churches trying to be more relevant in their music styles, in their lighting, in their preaching styles, in their offerings to you know, what they provide for small groups and those things, that's all the church's attempt to answer this meaning question. Did you know that? It's not just churches and marketing gimmicks, although it can be. It's something more than that. And so they're looking for this. So uh, advocates argue for a modern reinterpretation of traditional teaching. Some take a deep breath at that and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Our truth is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That might be true. That might be true. But you need to actually work through it with people. You need to work through it with people. You cannot say, because I said so, any more than you can say, well, because God said so. They don't care. What they want is actual understanding. They want wisdom. They want, they want meaning. Others suggest a more inclusive approach, embracing diverse spiritual practices and fostering a sense of community beyond doctrinal boundaries. How many of you know that there's been a massive resurgence in, um, in those seeking uh, like traditional church styles? So, so uh, the Roman Catholic and the, um, the Roman Catholics are seeing a crazy resurgence. And same with... Uh, and the, to a degree, right? But a crazy resurgence so to the same degree with Eastern Orthodox. There's something about liturgy. There's something about the structure that people go, that's where the secret is. It's in that. You know what they're going to find? That it's not in that, at least not in all of it. But they're looking for meaning, church. They're dying to figure this out. And so they've gone to all kinds of links to figure it out. These solutions seek not to uh, preserve institutions in their original forms, but adapt them to the evolving needs and the perspectives of the present. Being a church that adapts doesn't always mean that we're a church that sells out, okay? And I hope you will understand that. Because what will happen as far as I can tell with my own convictions and my own person is that I, I can't just go with the wind where it blows. That's not who I am. Never has been who I am. Makes me awfully stubborn, right? But we have to be a church that says, no, why do we do what we do? That's, again, a big part of our devotional series that's coming starting next week. What do we believe? Why is this even relevant? So in addressing this crisis, why does the decline matter? Uh, the decline matters because people are living lives of, of meaninglessness. They're increasingly um, depressed and hopeless and confused. At the same time that the stats show that we are becoming, and I know that this is hard for you to, to wrap your mind around when you zoom out and see the whole planet, but um, the same stats that show that violence in human history has declined more than ever before in human history because what you do is you think of genocides and things like these things happening currently. But violence is on a massive decline. While violence is on this massive decline, right, at the same time that this is going on, depression is at an all-time high. We're not being violent with each other. We're just hopeless. We just don't have any meaning. There's no wisdom that sticks or matters or guides us forward. And so we're confused. So the profound roles that we are supposed to play in shaping this collective narrative is to, is to teach people uh, what they think is disconnected in daily life and put it into practice, put it in before them so that they can see that there's meaning, there's purpose, there's, there's a greater purpose, something that even transcends themselves. 
People want something that is more applicable to the complexities of this modern world. And we have to be a people who do that, who provide that for people. The decline in traditional centers is not a mere shift in religious affiliation again. It is a seismic transformation in how we as a society derive meaning and construct our stories. And the church isn't becoming a good storyteller. We're rehashing our old stories and missing the point. And this is a problem. How many of you like the, the series, The Chosen? Show of hands, watch it, like that series. It's pretty cool, right? It's a pretty um, intriguing new take on a very old truth. A new take that actually takes some creative license, not where the Bible says something specifically, but where the Bible says nothing. And so they play into the attitudes and the practices of people and the, the personalities and whatever, and they, they paint strange pictures sometimes, sometimes great pictures. I think it's fun, right? That series has captivated people in a way that no Christian films before or Christian series have ever captivated people. Why? They learned how to tell the story again. They learned that narrative matters. They learned that sitting down with your kids and going, the Bible says so, is not the only way to do this. And it might not be a great way in today's world to do it at all. I know that'll probably ruffle some. So this seismic transformation is, as a society, is us wanting to drive meaning and construct a narrative. Addressing this crisis becomes a quest not just to preserve institutions, but to ensure that we are evolving in this landscape in a way that becomes meaningful. So, we're going to break for our potluck in 15 minutes and, and enjoy some time together if you're able to stay, and I encourage you to stay. But, because I've got enough pizza for you, you should stay. Anyway, um, but what I want you to understand is that we as, we as a society, as a, as a world, are un, we're in the midst of a meaning crisis. We want purpose. We all want it. We need to find out how to get that purpose. That purpose goes beyond information. That's not giving you purpose. It's making you smart. Cool. Information applied. That's knowledge. That's great. You need it. Don't be a dunce, right? This is really important. But information and knowledge that is given to you and taught to you in such a way that shapes you and molds you to know how to respond for the positive in the right setting or when to say no or how to engage with the world in a right way to be relevant with the truth that we have is what we're after. And the world can't find it. The world can't find it. Our answers, like, well, maybe you should get in your prayer closet and seek. They're like, I don't pray. What are you talking about? I don't even know if there is a God. Why would I pray? They need a lot of groundwork filled in for them. They need a lot of things taught them. And we are the people that teach that. We're the people who carry this message into the world. Guess what happens if my, when I was a kid, if my dad didn't go to work and my mom didn't go to work? We didn't eat. That's just the reality of it, right? Guess what happens if we don't go in the world and share the gospel? The gospel doesn't go into the world. And you say, ah, but Nathan, God cares so much for the people of this generation that he would not let the gospel not be spoken because we won't do the job. All you're doing is making an excuse for why you shouldn't do anything, right? God will absolutely wait for you to move. And sadly, if you don't move in faith, he goes to the rocks next. He doesn't go, well, I get it, you're an introvert. He just moves to the next level. He moves to that which will trust him implicitly. There's a crisis of meaning in our world, and we hold the truth, the meaning, the, the unbelievable message that changes and transforms everything. We need to know how to communicate it and care for those who are, in, who are searching after this. Amen.